Right now, let's talk about deacons. <laughs> Not sure how to segue that. Kids, that are, uh, you are encouraged to head out to Kids Church. Uh, that would be great. Welcome to Trinity. Um, thankful for our church family. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3 as we continue our series on the significance of the church. And we are looking at the structure, the, the things that are sort of supporting and, and the important components within the life of a church to help the church do the things that God has called the church to do. And it takes a whole team of people to do it. And God has designed it in this way. And so we've looked at membership, we've looked at eldership, and we have been spending uh, some time looking at deacons in large measure because we have been doing some work on our bylaws. And one of the things that we wanted to do with our bylaws was to expand a role that we have called trustees out fuller to incorporate the things that a deacon would do. And so we have, are taking a few weeks to talk about that from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and other portions of the Bible. Last week we looked at what are deacons and why deacons matter. And today we're going to look more at the who and specifically address uh, the, the issue of men and women in leadership in the life of the church. And so we're, we're going to be tackling that together this morning. I want to read our passage that has been sort of the base for us on, in light of deacons, and that's going to be found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So let's hear God's word. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we do pray that you would be with us and help us as we consider uh, these truths, these words. Uh, would you be with the preaching and the hearing, and receiving, believing, the trusting of your word. May you do good work in us and for our church and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Something Holding to something significant is important, and when you hold to something significant, you you build structures around that, and those structures lead to character, and that's kind of the progression of our series this fall. We want to hold to the significance of the church in God's sight, that this is the household of God. It is the assembly of his people to hold up and to hold out the good news of who God is and what he is like and what he has done through the gospel to each other um, and, and back to God in worship and to the world around so that people would come to know Christ. That is of utmost significance. And that significance has structure around it. The life of the church is structured in a way that people are committed to it. We use the word church membership. But the point is that we are taking that step of being all in together as a church family. And that church family has leadership within it. And the Bible has given us some clear pictures of what that leadership looked like. One of the offices of leadership in the church is called an elder who is to shepherd and lead with oversight over the, the, over the church, over the congregation, in both what we believe and how we live out what we believe in following Jesus. 
a weighty responsibility. Alongside the leadership of, de- of elders are what are called deacons, the passage that we read and we considered last week. Deacons are ones who lead through serving. And as they lead through serving, they're showing what Jesus is like in the life of a church. We noted last week that as deacons deacon well, as they serve well in the life of the church, it is good for the health of the church and also the witness of the church, that other people come into a healthy church and they experience God's grace in a new way or a fresh way or for the first time and they come to know Christ. And so this structure is for the health of a church and the health of a church is to live out its significance. And in the significance, God is getting glory, people are getting saved, and people who are following Jesus are growing. How that dynamic works together. So we're going to take time to look at an important aspect of that dynamic, and that is the relationship of men and women in light of the things that the New Testament or the Bible says about those relationships, especially within the relationship of God's people, the church. So we will be this morning drawing our attention to something that has been handled maybe awkwardly in the broad church culture, um, and that is the roles of men and women in the life and leadership of the church. And we're going to do that by focusing here on deacons. And so we want to embrace deacons in the life of the church. And, And again, this is a little tied to our bylaw change, of course, but we want, as I said last week, whether there's that title or not, we want to have a church filled with more and more deacon-like people who are serving in such a way that's showing what Jesus is like. And as we do that, we want to know who are deacons. We want to embrace that. So who are deacons and why that matters, why it matters. And so that's what we're going to consider together. So who are deacons? And one of the, the, the sort of, I don't know if it's an elephant in the room or not, But the kind of hanging question that we have is, can women be deacons? And so to tackle that, I want to look at the context. I want to look at the verse. And I want us to look at the work of the deacons. And and in so, hopefully, we will be encouraged in, in what we find. So first, let's understand the context of this letter, the letter as a whole. So the letter is written to... Timothy. Timothy is in charge, who was left in charge by the Apostle Paul of the churches that are in the region of Ephesus. He was left in charge to help build these churches up um, and to deal with some things that were impacting the church negatively. Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage, excuse me, to encourage Timothy to address a couple of things. One, the false teaching and false teachers that were having an impact on the church, both in what it believed and how it lived. And also, simultaneously, he wrote to promote what the church is to believe and how the church is to live. At the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verses 3 and 4, we see uh, this intention behind Paul to Timothy. He says, And I, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promotes speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So clearly there were some things that were impacting the church negatively. So Paul is writing to Timothy, leaving Timothy there to help work that out. So whatever these false teachers were teaching, it was having an impact 
on what people were believing and how they were organizing as a church for worship, for work, and for witness. And so just principally, we can see here in the context of this letter some things that are important. Paul's addressing false teaching. And false teaching is always going to do something. It's, it's always going to lead to a drift in how believers live and how a church functions. False teaching will always lead to a drift in how believers live and how a church functions. So he's addressing this. Now, remember what our main verse was at the beginning of our series. It was just a little bit later in 1 Timothy 3, in verse 15. In 1 Timothy 3, 15, he says, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Those images there do not speak of something that should drift. And so it's very important to hold very tightly to what we believe and to grow at living that out together as a church family. And much of the letter up until that point was dealing with the structure pieces, what it looks like to belong to the church and the the character and content of the church and the leadership of the church. So that's the overall context of the letter. letter. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing to care for. Now there's a broader section within that we find our passage about deacons. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's giving instructions on how a church is to assemble together for worship, for discipleship, for mission. Again, like I noted already in 1 Timothy 3.15, sort of the culminating picture that the Apostle Paul gives. He says, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. It's Very important that how a church lives out its belief um, has a profound impact on, on the very vitality of what it is believing, the, the grip of their believing. And so we need to work together both in believing and living in light of what we believe. First Timothy 2, we find some things that the Apostle Paul was dealing with. We see that the churches in the Ephesus region were wrestling with some things that were having a negative impact. Um, these churches may have been experiencing teaching that misunderstood their place, misunderstood their mission, and misunderstood their gathering. So I want to talk about that as we go into chapter 3. So first, looking at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we see how this teaching was bringing about a misunderstanding of their place. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. First of all, then, I urge, again, we find that word urge, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So something was going on that was impacting the churches that was producing the opposite of that. And so Paul is giving instructions. No, this is what we should be pursuing. We should understand our place. And our place is to be a people who rely on God, who rely on God. There's a growing reliance and dependence upon God, a growing prayerfulness and clinging to God. And that we should also know our place in the world, that we are to be a reflection of of that of which we've received from God to the world around. That we don't look at the world to give what only God can give. We don't look to the world for satisfaction, but we live in the world with the satisfaction that we have received from God 
And that grows deeper in us as our dependence upon God and our reliance upon God grows together as a church family. Whatever was happening, it was disrupting that. They were misunderstanding their place. They were also misunderstanding the mission of what this is all about. Look again, and, or look at verses 3 and 4 in 1 Timothy 2. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's good for us to know our place and to trust and to rest in God, to grow in that trust and rest in God, and to live out our lives as reflection of God's grace and mercy to the world around us. This is good, and as a, not only is it good for us, but it's good for our mission because people will come to know Jesus. They'll come to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. So whatever was happening, it was disrupting the mission. Instead of living so that others may come to know Jesus, there was some sort of disarray. that Timothy was being tasked to care for. And then it gets to then the third thing, the mis- a misunderstood of their gathering, of their time gathered together as a church. And so we read in verses 8 through 12 in 1 Timothy chapter 2 these words. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness and good work, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff in there that certainly um, may make our, our, our hairs and, and, and our back of our neck sort of like prickly up. And, and what? What? What does this? What did that just? What did I just read? I mean, certainly we live in a very different era, and I'm not excusing anything or trying to justify anything or promote anything other than to simply say we are also very distant in our time to their time. But regardless of that distance, regardless of the way that these words may make us feel initially, we need to take it into account that there was something happening that Paul was writing to Timothy to address something that was disrupting their gathering disrupting what God had designed for the glory of God and the good of his people and the salvation of the lost. So we want to we honor that. We want to take a moment to think about what is going on. But the picture is that of disorder rather than good order for how the household of God was to conduct itself when gathered together. Something was happening here that was upsetting what God's design was to be. Then we come into, I'm going to come back to 1 Timothy 2, those verses here in a moment. Then we come into verse chapter 3, and it addresses leadership in the church. Specifically, giving these, this picture of the qualifications of the kind of people who should be elders and the kind of people who should be deacons. And apparently the wrong kinds of people were getting into these roles as they were having a disruption to the gathering, the mission, and the work of the church. All of it was having an impact on the overall health of the church's worship. So there's a picture as we put the pieces together 
of a church that was not experiencing health as a church. There was something unhealthy happening. So while we look at those portions that talk about men and women and their relationship together in the life of the church, we want to keep the 30,000 foot in view first and to see that something unhealthy was disrupting this church or these churches in the Ephesus region. So we want to keep that in mind as we try to piece together these things that are being said. One thing that I can say, disorder with God's design will not be fruitful to God's purposes. Disorder with God's design will not be fruitful to God's purposes. And we as a people, as a church, as a local church, we want to be faithful to and with God's design for God's glory and for God's fruit, good fruit, healthy fruit. And that healthy fruit would be our lives being transformed to reflect more of Jesus and more people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. So we want to be ordered around God's design so that we would be fruitful to God's purposes. So the context is that there's, a, there's some messes that Timothy is tasked to shepherd through. Paul is giving him instructions on how to do that. There are some important principles from that. And then we can keep those things in mind as we tackle some of these specific things that we're not quite sure what to do with right now. So now let's get into our specific verse. So broad context, or the context of the letter, the broader context of the section. And now let's look at our verse, verse 11. That's the verse in question. First Timothy, verse 11. Who are the women here that are mentioned? And what does it mean in light of the role of deacon? Now I'm going to put up on the screen three um, different translations of this verse. All right? The first translation is from the ESV, which is what I normally preach from. Um, It says this, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Next translation is from the New American Standard Version. Both the ESV and the New American Standard Version take a word-for-word approach to their translations. All right? So they're going word-for-word, and that's why I lean toward those kinds of translations, mostly for my personal reading and study, because the word-for-word, I just I lean in that direction. So the New American Standard says women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossip, but temperate, faithful in all things. And then the third one, which is what I read from at the very beginning of the, our, our time here in this message, is from the NIV, which approaches it more thought for thought in their translation approach. And this is what it says. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. If you have any one of those three versions or other versions, you're probably going to find a little footnote next to verse 11. And in that footnote, it's going to say the opposite of whatever it said in the verse. Right? Just covering their bases. Covering their bases. So they'll say, it will either say that these women are women deacons or deacon wives. And that's really, those are really the two main ways to approach verse 11. Is this deacon wives that are getting instructions, are these women who are deacons that are getting this instruction. All right. Now, I will address those things. The first 
Um, first, just let's keep in mind the structure of this passage, verses 8 through 13. Verses, if you're looking at it, I don't think I have it on the screen, sorry about that, but if you're looking at it in your Bible, 8 through 10 is sort of a broad overview of deacon qualifications. All right? Verse 11, specific things are said to women. Verse 12, specific things are said to men. And then verse 13, final sort of encouragements to serve well. So structure is there in those verses. Now, we are going to look at then verse 11 and and say, what do we at Trinity hold to? Well, Trinity's current bylaws and proposed bylaws would say this, qualified men and women can serve as deacons. Qualified men and women can serve as deacons. Right now, our current bylaws say trustees, which is a portion of what a deacon does. And as I've stated numerous times, we, wanted, we thought that was too narrow of a description and wanted it to be broader to incorporate all of what a deacon does. And therefore, that's our move from using trustees to deacons. And so both the current and then the proposed are carrying over the same qualification description in our bylaws. So that means qualified men and women can serve as deacons. Now, there's five reasons behind that that I want to give for us to consider this morning. From a micro-focused to more macro-informed. All right? Micro-focused to macro-informed. The first is this. Number one. I'm sorry this feels a little more teachy than preachy, but we'll get to maybe preachy at the end. All right. Number one, the possessive there uh, that you see in the ESV, their wives, is not there in the original language. The word that's there is just the word that can be used for woman or wife. And context, context helps to know which one is which. But the there is not there. What well, it says in my notes, the there is not there. So the possessive there, referring, saying that these deacons are men and men only, and their wives are getting instruction, the there that links it in that way isn't there in the original language. That's number one. Number two, there's a very interesting parallel that's happening in our passage. And I think I pulled it off on the slides up here, verse 8 and verse 11. If you look at that, there's something very fascinating. They start in the same way, and they're followed up with three qualifications. So verse 8 says, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. Verse 11 says, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Then both verses follow up with qualifications. In verse 8, it's not um, worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. And then in verse 11, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So if you're describing the qualifications in the picture of an office, both are getting the same sort of care and attention. It's not a sort of a subset thought, but, but an equal thought. All right, that was number two. Number three, two weeks ago we talked about elders. Elders are the, in the role of authority in the life of a church. In terms of teaching and preaching, what, holding to what it is that we are believing together as a church, giving 
leadership and oversight for the direction of the church. And in that portion, we looked at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3. There is no instructions whatsoever for anything regarding an elder wife. There are no, no details there for how elder wives should be considered or instructed. If this portion in the deacons was for deacon wives, then it's fair to ask why the absence of instruction for elder wives, as elder wives are going to be in the life and ministry of the church with their husbands, just like deacon wives would be in the life and ministry of the church with their husbands. So the absence of that sort of instruction for the role of leading is curious. And then number four, as we, so we micro and we're moving out to bigger macro kinds of ideas. The role of deacon itself. The role of deacon is not an authoritative role. It's not a role of authority. It's leading by serving, so it's leading, but it's not leading in the same way that elders are called to lead and instructed to lead. And because it's not an authority role, we don't actually find anywhere in the Bible that forbids women from serving as deacons. There's no verse that says women are not to be deacons. Now, we did have a verse that we read earlier that spoke to women in the role of authority, that being that of an elder. That's 1 Timothy 2.12. I want to go back to that again. 1 Timothy 2.12 says, I do not permit a woman to lead, or excuse me, to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, 1 Timothy 2, again, is dealing with the structure in church. It's not dealing with gender values or necessarily any specific cultural issue. It's talking about the structure within the church. And what we do know is that elders are exercising authority in the life of the church. When we read through the portion on the elders in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see that very plainly and very clearly set aside for the role that men would be set aside for that role. That qualifications for elders are that of a man. Now, why does Paul say this in, in 1 Timothy 2.12? Striking to our modern ears. Was it striking to their ears at that time? Like, what's going on? I want to say that Paul is informed by two very important things when you read and study his writing and theology in the New Testament. Paul's informed by creation, and Paul's informed by the outworking of God's redemptive purposes for history. He looks at things in life and in ministry through those lenses. What God made, now God is remaking. And that's interpreting for him, obviously through the work of the Holy Spirit, in the way that he deals with these issues. Now, before we go further, many of you were with us in our Ephesians series, just not that long ago. We went through Ephesians. And Paul did something truly counterculturally radical when he wrote the letter to the Ephesian churches. He addressed specifically and directly women, children, and slaves and servants. No one was doing that in his day. They were not treated in that way in his day. And he was doing exactly that, speaking directly to them, giving them gospel-rich encouragement and direction for their lives, in many ways caring for them directly in his writing. You find that in other portions of Paul's writing. So what is he doing here? Well, 
he is also wanting to write directly about embracing God's design and being fruitful with God's purposes. So creation, let's think about it in this way. Creation is God's good design and order. But what happened? Sin. Sin mars this design and brings upheaval to this order. And then as the Bible unfolds, redemption comes and restores and renews. These are big picture things that are unfolding and inform Paul as he addresses cultural issues and as he addresses issues within the church. So let's think about creation. In creation, we see God's design. He created man and then he created woman. He created male leadership, but then he created male and female partnership. It wasn't good for man to be alone. And then they were given rule over creation. They were to rule over animals, and they were to work the garden. They were given these jobs and these responsibilities. And in that, they were reflecting. They were imaging out together, male and female. They were imaging out the character of God, the nature and character of God, built into who they were as image bearers. Then there was upheaval of sin. Think of that. Think of that order that we considered as you read through Genesis 1 and 2. See, God created man, and God created woman. God brought together this partnership. They were to rule over creation. See the order, how it goes? Now think of the upheaval. What happens? A serpent comes along, an animal comes along, and deceives a woman under the inattentive and unengaged leading of a man. A reversal of God's design. Not a partnership happening. Not a leadership being enacted. And not ruling over the very creation that God left them in charge. And a total reversal has occurred because of sin. And it brought wreckage. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It continues. And it tells the story of the unfolding story of God's redeeming purpose. God redeems a people to himself. And he restores the dignity of that design. Our our personhood. He restores the dignity of that design. Then he brings us together into a new garden called the church. This is displayed in the significance and the structure and the character of the church. And so there's then a redemptive reversal that sin had brought. It is getting reversed. So when you look at the life of a church, in the church, what do we see? We see instruction given for male leadership and the office of elder and then we find male-female partnership in the office of deacon and in the life of a church as a whole so that the church can get to the work of making disciples of all nations. So it's an outworking of both what we see in creation and an outworking of the reversal brought about with redemption that the body of Christ is reflecting out God's good design. So, in light of that, in light of that, that was a like super deep, like off the rails subpoint of number four, which was um, deacon role is not a role of authority. It's a it's a role of service, it's a role of partnership, and it's a role that qualified men and women can serve in. Now, Bible believing, Jesus clinging to gospel preaching churches may reach a different conclusion, and they're still Bible believing, Jesus clinging to gospel-preaching churches. We can differ on this. But our position here at Trinity is that we believe qualified men and women can serve in deacons. Now, there's a fifth one. 
There's a fifth example, and, that, and this telescope's further out, is that we actually get an example of a woman deacon found in Romans 16.1. Romans 16.1. In the New Testament, you'll read through the New Testament, specific women are highlighted and championed for their faith in the gospel, the support of the mission, and for their service in the church. One of those women is highlighted significantly in Romans 16.1. Her name is Phoebe. She's recognized for her service as a deacon. Now, earlier I put up three translations. I'm going to do that again. So here's Romans 16.1 in the ESV. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in that place. Now let's look at the New American Standard. I recommend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. Uh, Now let's look at the NIV. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. All three are going to have that same footnote that you found in 1 Timothy 3.11. I say it could be either one. Now, what I want to say here is that the structure of the verse in Romans 16.1, the verb form that's being used here is a present participle. And what that means is it's, it's regularly used to speak of an office rather than of a characteristic. It's speaking to the position, not just the kind of person that Phoebe was. Phoebe was great. She's commended highly by the Apostle Paul to the church, which is also another clue that he is commending her office, her role in this office to the church. And the structure of the verse is saying that it's, yes, that characteristic of service is there, but, but so was the very office. And it's associated with a very specific church. If it was just the character emphasized, then it would have been easy for Paul to say, Phoebe, the servant of Christ, who is serving her life for Christ and the good of the church. But, but he says it, it's a specific church. And what is Paul even doing in Romans 16? Well, as you would look there, you would find that he is commending this person in this role at this church. Uh, one commentator, Edmund Clowney, said it this way, the charge Paul gives the Roman church concerning Phoebe does not merely commend a friend to their fellowship. He formally requires recognition for Phoebe and full support of her activities. How do we define office if not as a function that requires public recognition for its proper exercise? So that's Certainly not. I can't answer all of the things, that, all of the questions that we may have when it comes to men and women and leadership in one message. And, and really, I, I want to move away from just this being a Sunday school lesson into something that preaches to the heart. But we do have to tackle things like this along the way that require some context and some explanation. So why does it matter, though? Well, let's, let's go back to where we started. It matters because we want to be a healthy church that has healthy roots, that nourishes the whole church and bears healthy fruit. So that's why it matters. We want to have humble hearts and posture toward God's word. We want it to shape us and lead us. We want to have people serving in the variety of roles in the life of the church so that we can hold up and hold out the good news of Jesus Christ to each other and to those who are lost and without him. And we want to do that in a way that is taking on the posture of of humility and of hope. We want to be a happy people and a holy people. We want all of that to take greater root in us. 
And I know that in the broader evangelical world, people can spill a lot of ink, internet or otherwise, on their various thoughts and opinions on matters like this. But, but I don't care about the broader evangelical church. That may sound scandalous. That's not my responsibility. It isn't. I'm not on that committee. I care about Trinity Baptist Church and our health and our people and us living out this together in ways that, that encourage and equip and, and empower us to do ministry together, to embrace it together, to live it out together, and to recognize those who have the, the heart and, and, and as aspiration to serve in our church as elders, to recognize those who have the heart and, and, and actual track record of selflessly serving in the life of our church. And that men and women would be valued and esteemed and recognized for who they are and what God has, has led them to be and to do in the life of the church. And we want to follow God's design. And we see the design laid out here. And this is where we are as a church. Following God's design is our best foot forward as a church. Will we do that perfectly? No. That's why we need humility. We want to do that earnestly. And we want to recognize that other churches may reach different conclusions on matters like these. And that's okay. For us, we want to be a church family that relies on God and reflects his goodness to the world around. And so to our church, I say we need elders who shepherd, who shepherd us in this direction. And we need deacons. We need deacons who serve us along the way. And we want a healthy embrace of the significance of the church, that this really does matter. It's not just something that we check off that we did in the course of our week and we can get on to the stuff that's more important. All the things that are in your life are important. The health of your church and the health of your soul will inform how you live out all those important things. And we want to be a place that encourages us toward Jesus, equips us to live for him, and empowers us to make much of him to those around us. And so we want to see that kind of healthy fruit in the life of our church. So may we be a happy humble, hopeful, holy people as we seek to make much of the truths of who God is and what God is like and what he has done. May that grip our hearts all the more and may we be eager and willing to serve and to lead and to show that God indeed is worthy and he is worth it. Let's pray. God, we ask that you be with us and help us as we wrestle with your truth and think about it in its application and implication in the life of our church. And we pray that as we do that, that you would be honored, that you would be honored and that our hearts would be humble, that we would not be proud, but that we would be a humble people. God, help us to not be like what Paul warned against, those who would gather together to be angry together. And we don't want that. Instead, may we be a people who gather together to pray and to rejoice and to rest in you. God, we don't want disorder in the life of our church. We want good order so that we follow after you and, and see good fruit happening in our lives and in our community. We want to see people come to know you, saving faith in your son, Jesus. And we don't want to be obstacles to that. So help us to not be an obstacle to people coming to know Jesus. 
God, we want to be a place where people, even younger people, want to grow up into roles that are so vitally important in the life of a church. May there be young men here who have a growing aspiration in their heart to shepherd the flock of God among us. May there be men and women, young men and young women, who have in their heart a growing desire to serve along the way, to help us steward our wonderful resources to your glory and to the good of others, to help us serve each other as we have need, and to pour out ministries of mercy in those moments of crisis. Oh God, would you stir in our hearts a people, young people even, that would long to see this happen in greater measure in our church. God, we want to do this and see this and have this take greater root in our church family because you are worthy and you are worth it. God, we ask all of this, your glory, and to our good. In Jesus' name, amen.